Hatihei mauri ora, e ngā mana, e ngā reo, e rangatirama. Kia ora and welcome to Māori Initiative's podcast show, Te Mangai, the Mouthpiece, in association with podcast.nz. Thanks for joining us. As each week, our guests share a part of their life's journey to Te Iratangata, improve quality of life. Te Aruha Te Pokopuno Me Te Rangi Marie Tato Tato E Norera Kyora, welcome to Tamangai. Eta Atua no Te Kororia Te Fari. Itu nei here at uh, worldpodcast.com <laughs> Tēnā koe, tamana whenua uh, Nā te whātua rake Tēnā koutou is up there on the hill today Woo, getting some sun uh, E te paipai, tapu uh, Paul Spain, uh, kia ora, good to have you with us uh, Our special guest tonight, uh, the founder of uh, worldpodcast.com Kia ora Thank you for, uh, thank you for to have you. squeezing me in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my bro on the mic, keeping it tight, Greg. Yeah, Greg and Good to have you. Kia ora, Greg. Kia ora. And uh, our special guest who I'll introduce in a moment. Uh, we'll just, just hold that back. Just hope you've had a really great week, our listeners. We've got something uh, special for you today. Just as a personal um, start off, I first heard this gentleman when I was 10 years old. Mm. And probably twice a year for the first six years of my uh, Christian walk, uh, and had a had an impact in there. And so it's a great honour, uh, particularly for me tonight as the host, uh, to introduce uh, a special man on the world stage. And I'm going to do it different. I'm going to use a few numbers here just to <laughs> put a stir on it. Our special guest tonight. In no particular order, these numbers, by the way, has achieved the following. Three million air miles of travel since 1964 to the present. And I've seen it on the card. Uh, in excess of uh, one million uh, books in print. Uh, that is a, a Youth of Flame, uh, written when was the 1960s, late 60s. Uh, he has been active on, uh, as a global ambassador of bringing hope, uh, bringing science, bringing truth uh, across the globe uh, over six decades. He's written uh, 18 books. He's been general editor of one Bible, uh, study Bible. He's uh, written an anthem in a school, which is <laughs> still being sung to this day in Tamaki Makoto. Uh, he has five doctorates. His name is Pastor Winky Prattney. Kia ora, Winky. Kia ora. Great to have you with us. I had to. I was going to pick. I couldn't pick any one of those. It's a great introduction. I could hardly wait to hear myself speak. The <laughs> <laughs> only trouble is I'm not a pastor. I'm just a nerd chemist. Oh, you are to me. <laughs> so great to have you with us here at Tamangai at uh, yes. World Podcast. It's uh, it's a great honour. You're our tenth uh, guest speaker, uh, wow. so it's just fitting. Uh, to, to get you in here, um, our program focuses on really how to help communities mm. 
uh, the people and families that might be challenged uh, in work. They might have an idea, not sure what to do with it. They might be down in their luck and, and looking for hope. And Sound like you ca- covered everybody in New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> Myself included. Uh, so, yeah, this program yeah. exists, particularly Māori, uh, just being Māori, I suppose yeah. we reach out to our Māori, our Pacifica, our, our Kiwi community. Yeah. Uh, so that's what Tamanga is, means the mouthpiece. So, uh, it's, it's great to have, have you with us on the show. And uh, we're going to run uh, two parts of the program tonight. In the first part, uh, with Winky, uh, I've asked him to come and share some of the more personal insights uh, to your journey. Uh, and then in the second part, uh, is about your new book, which has just been launched. So, yeah, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Spiritual Vocations. Uh, I got it the day after it was released wow. uh, so you can download that i uh, just put a shout out i uh, go to amazon.com uh, it's 11 dollars for an 860 page almost as cheap as a hamburger book. you know uh, but cheaper than a hamburger <laughs> <laughs> we now for a hamburger the other night 13 dollars yeah. um so uh, cheaper than a hamburger mm. 860 pages, spiritual vocations, yeah. fantastic. Um, I'm a couple hundred pages in so far. Wow. It's uh, I can't wait to talk about it. We'll we'll save that for the second half of the program. Mm. Uh, well, let's want to focus a little bit about your dad, yes. uh, Bill. Yeah. Uh, you died recently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to talk about that. No, so they don't come well, together. What is? How does that work? So well, I will try and segue those things yeah. together. So yeah. uh, look, we've got a lot to get through. So uh, no, Kelda and welcome. So Thank buckle you. up, listeners. This is going to be a good one. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Winky, I, I, I sat down. I tried to figure out where's a way to lead in, and all those numbers dropped out. What I'm just blowing it all apart. <laughs> Uh, so um, we thought we'd, we'd kick off. Uh, who is Winky Prantney? And uh, who is this, your father, Bill Prantney, yeah. at Motat, uh, the wizard bike? Uh, it's sitting down there. Um, in case our listeners didn't know, yeah. uh, Winky, uh, your dad's uh, very famous in New Zealand history. And uh, I'll just, let's start off there and yeah. see where we go. Well, just uh, last few days, Motat has launched a new exhibit. Oh, wow. And uh, my father is the um, best professional cyclist New Zealand's ever had in 100 years. And wow. it's embarrassing to be born in a house where your father's a legend already. Wow. And uh, so he, he's, he's, um, he's Maori. He's um, half and I'm quarter, so. <laughs> oh, you're and I'm trying harder, you know, to, <laughs> yeah. to increase things. But sure. we have no uh, dad. Uh, his, his background's like, like many uh, young Maoris in the early days, had a sad situation. His mother was a Maori princess. She mm-hmm. was raped by a Pākehā man. He had no interest in her at all. The uh, only reason we know that is when my dad was winning one of the races behind my mother's uh, uh, youngest sister, there was a guy standing there watching him, and he said quietly, I did pretty good, didn't I? That's the only time we ever knew that that he was... That was the father. He was there, yeah. So that's in the book, so that's... Yeah, it is, a little bit. And then, so dad, um, we didn't ever know the full story of dad because... Those of you who are older will remember this, that there was a whole culture, a shame culture, which still is here today, 
It was very, very powerful in the early days. If you did anything yes. that was embarrassing or shameful, you didn't do a, tele a television or radio program or streaming like we're doing now. You never said anything about that. Right, you yeah. try to protect and shelter yourself and your reputation and everything else. So though my mother, uh, my grandmother on, on my father's side was a Maori princess, we didn't know hardly anything about, because he never met his right. grandfather. His grandfather was embarrassed about what happened. And so he moved from where he lived in Takapuna Mm -hmm. All the way out to which is near uh, Kao Kao Bay, right. where he grew up. And it was his Maori mother, uh, grandmother, that brought him up. And she lived in, wow. she was a Christian lady, but she had a moku and she smoked a pipe. But she, he said, my grandmother loved Jesus. And her husband is the one who put her in charge of this little boy. Wow. But she died at when he was 12, which left him alone. And apparently some, I don't know, missionary or something, riding through the forest, saw this little kid crying and a dead woman. And so he put him on the back of a horse wow. and took him back to Brookby. He went to Brookby really? School in the early days and then grew up uh, a stable boy. He was never adopted. He was just fostered by a man who in Papakura area, who owned one of the famous racing horses called Brookby Song. Okay. And so Dad was put over uh, on a hammock watching over Brookby Song, and he said he didn't like that horse because it bit him at night times. He was swinging on the hammock really? there. But my father found another horse. He found a bike, a bicycle, and he became an amazing cyclist. And so this Motad exhibition has honored him again. He's a permanent exhibit in Motat. If they move Motat, yeah. they'll move my father wow. too. And there's also this book here um, we're holding here, Bill Pratney, Never yeah, the Stay Die, yeah. New Zealand Cycling Legends. Yes, and yeah, uh, I've read yeah. through that book. Uh, incredible uh, accounts. The name Iron Man was first used of my dad. And it was a strange thing because I think it was George Bernard Shaw who called him that. He said my father was one of the two greatest natural athletes in the world that time. And I didn't understand all of those things, but I found out he really was an astonishing man. So, hang on a minute. Just for our listeners, we are talking about then the first titled Iron Man yes. bestowed on someone. It was bestowed on my father. On your father, who now today we all know what the Iron Man is. Yeah. And There's a double reason to, of course, he didn't wow, fly or anything. Man. And, you know, he didn't have the technology of the modern Iron Man. But in his day, he built his own bicycles. And he made them out of iron bedsteads. And they're quite beautiful. And if you go to Motat and you see that it's, it's a, a gorgeous looking um, shimmering blue bike and it's very thin, it, the things that were different about it was the, the structure of it. It's not only very thin, it's quite heavy, but he sold it to, to um, both amateur and professional cyclists right. because it had no free wheel. You pedaled all the time. So to win a race, wow. you had continually pedaling. Wow. And it had only one brake on one <laughs> side, which sounded weird. But the way he stopped was lock his legs. 
which is bad if you had a cramp at the end of a major race. <laughs> so let's, <laughs> let's just get rid of the obvious here. Yeah. So you can't pedal backwards. This no. is like the old little junior bikes that yes, we had. Exactly. You had to go back to put the brake That's on right. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And this I never knew cyclist. why he didn't put gears on because, you know, he knew about gears later, but he never used them. He had one gear for track, different kinds of single uh, gears, and then one for the road. But he was a major athlete in New Zealand's history by winning both the long ones, the 100-mile, 200-mile races, right, and then these short uh, single sprint things. On single gear. Single gear. One thing. gear. Yeah, put one gear in for the track and one gear in for the no road. No Shimano here. No. <laughs> <laughs> Just Maori Shimano. But he was a, an amazing Maori man. Um, his... Even we were talking, coming in the car here before this podcast, about um, Arthur Lydiard, who, who right. became a legend yeah. in running. Yeah. And we, both my dad and I, wore Lydiard shoes <laughs> on my tennis, because I was a tennis super player. Light ones, huh? I, I had Lydiard tennis, tennis shoes and stuff. But the, the fact, the, diff, the, the similarity between Arthur Lydiard and my father was the uniqueness of their lives. My dad didn't train with, with other people. He'd go up to the deviation in those days, which had all um, gra you know, gravel things, and go straight up these side hills and go. So he's riding continuously. With one and gear. He yeah, one gear. He thought nothing, nothing at all. Uh, this is when he was 47, and he'd retired four or five times. He had more comebacks than Muhammad Ali. <laughs> but um, one of the major uh, young athletes, he was a professional, and the sad thing about becoming a professional, he won a professional race at 16. He didn't know or care that it was a money race. But having won that, he was never allowed to compete in the Olympics. Whoa. So all of his life, he was never allowed to be in the Olympics. So and one of New Zealand's greatest cyclists, if not our greatest And when uh, people came from Australia, because they're next to our neighbors, who had won the goals in the Olympics and took that on, he beat them. So he was an amazing cyclist, That's but incredible. one of these young guys that he was training, who, who initially used dad's bikes, you see, he said to himself, because uh, he, he was training him for a while, and then he vanished, and he didn't know what happened to him. And he met him uh, just in a, another street walking, and he said, Sal, what happened to you? And he was a bit embarrassed. He said, well, Bill, things have changed since you were cycling. He said, if you were in cycling today, they've got new technology, they've got new kinds of bikes, new training methods, you wouldn't win anything. Dad said, absolutely nothing. But for the next six months, he got up at <laughs> four in the morning <laughs> and he rode 100 miles before breakfast, wow. five times a week. Wow. And then he rode down to compete in New Zealand's most wealth, richest and most grueling race. It was a Timaru to Christchurch race, right. and he won it, and he, won and he it. retired again. <laughs> right? Is How old was he? He was 47 at that time. Wow. Now, th that's post the accident as well, right? Yeah, this is so after. He had a terrible accident. He, uh, sorry, just yeah, so no, I've, I've read this book, yeah. but just this accident isn't just, he's going 90 kilometers an hour, downhill comes around, collects an amateur's fallen off, hits it, uh, deforms his hands, <laughs> breaks his jaw collarbone and like I thought he was dead. takes all the skin off most of his body mm. what had happened comes is back there's a, an area out towards the airport and they oh. the police thought there was only one race there was actually two from two different clubs and they were scheduled in opposite directions <laughs> and so what? here's dad and the professionals 
racing at full speed to finish. They're going around the corner, they're going to finish. And the amateurs with their heads down are finishing their sprint down that same thing. So he came around the corner and the guy right in front of him suddenly swerved. And so dad went through the the center and there is a a, a 90 mile an hour collision without any special helmets or anything. So there were somersaulting bikes and one was instantly killed and they thought dad had died and they covered him over with a sheet and left him at the side of the road. Mm. But somebody saw him move and they said he's still alive and he was in a coma for three days. He came out of the coma and within six months he was racing and winning again. Yeah, so, so he had to adapt though with his hands, yes. right? But he, but he never through. told anybody this because in cycling, if you're on the Tour de France and they know that you've got a hand that doesn't a work handicap, right, they yeah. can bash you, yeah. just bump you and knock you right over the cliff. So he never told anybody why he didn't use gears. So we've got a an, a top cyclist in the world here racing with yeah. two thumbs. Two thumbs. On the handlebars. Just holding on to those handlebars. And winning. Yeah. And then locking his feet when he wanted to stop suddenly. <laughs> Except in the, the track a, ones, particularly, they, they, uh, they tied you in tight. You know, somebody wow, had to, wow. to put the... But that was good for when you when your feet continually move because your lift is the same as your push. Right, yeah. And it gave them extra strength. You saw that in America's Cup, which just happened. Yeah. When they changed our... We had three guys on bikes connected up to our yacht and everybody else had hand things. If you're going to compete with hands trying to, trying to uh, you know, yeah, circle yeah. something compared with three guys on bikes, you've had it. Because wow. the legs are always stronger in those things. Yeah, well, there's an account in the book of racing the bus <laughs> to Odehue <laughs> on a tandem bike, yes, right? And, yes, oh, it's so yeah. hard case. Eh? And they just beat the bus yeah. from central Auckland out yeah, to, was that only Hunger or something? He would do that all the time. He'd ride from Manurea yeah, to yeah. Auckland oh. and back and it's embarrassing. So, well, uh, I, I actually ride a bike to work. You do? I, yeah. I go about 25 kilometers an hour. <laughs> oh, that's good. I mean, <laughs> it's an electric bike. Oh, well. So bikes are on the comeback, but uh, for different reasons. Posh. That's true. In the <laughs> Motad exhibit, there is a guy, I never knew this until the exhibit, because Dad is featured in this one, that there was a man called Pierce, who was the first uh, person in the world to fly. This wow. is before the, the brothers. And he had a bike. They have their, his bike up there. His bike had an engine in it. He put an oh. engine in his bike. And oh, it was Pierce, a New Zealand guy who was the first in the world to have a plane that flies. The interesting thing is Manurewa, where I live. Manurewa is bird on the wing. And it came from the idea of the plane flying. Wow. Cool. There's some really cool stories. That's crazy. So this is, uh, um, man, what a, what a story. Uh, the last two years of my dad's life, he, he uh, moved to Australia with my mother and they were there and the, the uh, Masters Games was being sh- uh, held in Brisbane. So they put a new velodrome in there and they had not tested it yet. And there was a man from Australia, I called him the Tasmanian Tiger, and he was in the old exhibit that dad had in oh, right. Motat. Yeah. The Tasmanian Tiger had trained for three years for this Masters Games, and they called him the world's oldest competing cyclist for this wow. deal. So there is dad in the same city, and they realized 
This is an Aussie, and this is a Kiwi. So that, that's all. <laughs> going to give you an automatic fun thing. So they said, just for fun, why don't we, we do a fun race? And we bring TV One wow. came out to shoot it. And they bought a, you know, they bought a, because, but dad was 86. And this guy was 70. What? And so the cutoff date was made at 70 for this man. They didn't know anything about dad at all. But when they discovered there was a Kiwi who was much older and still competing in races <laughs> with this guy, they put them on together. So the idea was on this new velodrome, they'd go around together. When they crossed the line together, they belted it, just went one single row, full, full tail. And dad killed the poor guy. I think he didn't even go into the, he didn't even go into the games because he was so embarrassed. He fell off his bike at the end. But the, the marvelous thing about it is when they found that he'd won this, they allowed him to compete for the first time in his life at 86 in the Brisbane Masters. But he was not officially allowed because the cutoff date wow. was 70 and he was 86. 86. And so... and and. Another friend who became the top amateur, he also became a Christian too. And that was Warwick Dalton, amazing man. Yeah, yeah. Warwick uh, allowed, um, he, he talked about Dad being in this, if he had been allowed, he would have won two golds and a bronze in that Masters Games. And so oh. Warwick took one of his gold medals and gave it to Dad. Oh, did he really? Yeah, oh. which is a beautiful thing. Yeah, well, I mean. So that's a story. And one other little extra thing we can add to that is the Australian Bible Society, when they found that it happened, they came to Dad and said, would it be possible for you to do some rounds around the velodrome again, which was still there, uh, for, you know, for a, a time, and everybody will have a bet to how many times They'll put money on how many times you could get around there. And they said, how long could you do it? He said, oh, two or three days. Because he'd done these six-day cycle races. That's right, he did that. So he was in there, and they went in. And so all kinds of people, well, he's old, man. He's 87. I mean, the guy could probably die after two or three rounds. So they all bet money on him that he wouldn't make it. So St. John's Ambulance was there, and the television crew was there. He did 300 times around that at Olympic pace. Now, the ultimate freaky thing about that, and you won't see this in the books, is that about six or seven uh, laps into the start of this, he wasn't racing anybody, you know, occasionally yeah. some people yeah. come and join him, but it started raining lightly, and that velodrome had not been used for a year, and there was a dust right on the thing, and there were some painted sections, and Dad came down the side and hit some paint and skidded, and he went right off the bike, and he fell. Whoa. And he ripped his arm, you see. And so St. John's was there, and they said, are you okay, Billy? He goes, yeah, it just hurts a bit. And so they bound him up. He knew that they would stop him if there was anything wrong. And the Australian Bible Society wouldn't get any money at all. So he did that 300, uh, uh, 300 laps. What he didn't tell anybody is he'd broken two ribs. Oh, what? He does 300 laps three, three with months two broken later, ribs and an arm. Three months later, he had a stroke from a blood clot. 87. Yeah, he, at 87. What and that was his last race. Wow. He didn't die. He still hung in there for a long, long time. But my father, to be, to, to be the son of a legend is just yeah. embarrassing. <laughs> because, you know, I have his legs and I have his heart, you know. Yeah. But uh, there's only one time I ever beat my dad because he did football, he did tug of war, he did all his field hockey. 
I beat him in tennis. I played him in tennis. So I became a tennis player. And I was third in the nation as a junior. That was my big deal. I could beat my dad okay. in one thing. Awesome. Just one. So anyway, okay. that's, that's my dad's so, story. So uh, if anyone's listening out there t- tonight, <laughs> I think we'd need to get a uh, honorary Olympian uh, bestowed. That would be a cool uh, Let's thing. work on something. Wouldn't that Somebody be Somebody wanted to do a movie, actually. The Maori well, Channel wanted to do a movie on dad's life a bit. You know, you do it with Far Lap and you do it with yeah. the fastest in, in the end, you know, that thing. Yeah. But it would be great to do Dad's well, life. He was a Māori in New Zealand yeah. and on his own, not yeah. knowing the game. not Didn't know anything. You know, from everything yeah, he turning learned. Turning up he on his own, living on his own, yeah. trying to make, make yeah. it work. And, and man, let's, let's get this guy on So it. people who yeah. start off and they're, they're damaged, you know, there's something that's gone wrong, they... They, have, they don't know who their father is. They, some don't know who their mother is or which yeah. mother out of all the mothers that you could have. So I've been to a bunch of hangies and tangies and other things. Yeah. Three, three day long things. And the funny thing is my father had, had some half brothers. Oh, okay. And I thought if, you, if your mother dies giving birth to you, how do you get half brothers? And it's oh. only if your grandfather has more than one wife. Uh, okay. And that is how <laughs> it was one of the wives. Wow. And then we found out, because his second name, Prattney, there's only three of us left in the world. You met all three of them. <laughs> Prattney is a weird name. It's a made-up name. Because when they asked Dad, he only spoke Maori uh, until he was 12. And then he wasn't allowed to speak Maori. Yeah, yeah. He had to learn English, you see. Same with our dad. Exactly yeah. the same kind of thing. And so it was a, he wasn't allowed to at all. So we never learned Maori. When, when, mm. uh, when he mm. got married, mm. we never spoke. You know, he could talk, come on in mucking, talk to the fish and, and stuff. <laughs> but we didn't con- converse in it because he never did. He understood it perfectly, but he wasn't allowed to speak it. Oh, and wow. so in this whole scenario, it was, uh, in a way it was sad, but it's a good thing too to know this. You can come from a terrible situation where you, not only do you lose your mother at birth, you don't have a father. Then your mother dies and then your granny dies after 12 years. Wow. But his his granny was a Christian. Her and her husband became the first Maoris in the chief line who became Christians. The chief and his brother became the first Maori chiefs. And when we asked Dad, who was your grandfather's name? See, he he called him Chief Takapuna because he never met him. Yeah, right. So we thought there's no Takapuna tribe. I never heard of a Takapuna no. tribe. I know where Takapuna is because that's where my wife, when she moved from Wellington, came up there. Right, yeah. So sitting in a church, this is nearly 10 years ago now, the pastor said, I've discovered something interesting. This is in Takapuna. It's now called Harborside Christian Church. He said, this whole church is built on the home of a famous Maori chief. He used to live here. Now, when he said Chief Takapuna, we thought the name, the second name, it started with P and it ended with an E or a Y, and we thought it might be a Padawani. Yeah. Because the Padawanis, but they were all up, they were on Whangarei and places like that. Well, he was down here in Auckland. Yeah. So we thought uh, there might might be a connection. It starts with P and it's got the, you know. And the pastor said this, this belonged to a famous Maori chief who lived here. And his name was Patuani. And my that's hair right. stood in it because that's the first time in nearly 50 years I learned who we believe 
my great-grandfather is. And that's a current journey you're on yes. now to uh, bring those connections about. So those so of you listening, if you've gone through hellish backgrounds, and every, all kinds of kids are there, there's been so many damaged homes. I, I spoke in Parliament here like 25 years ago about why we have one of the highest, now the highest again, suicide rate among young people yeah, in the world. Yes. So if you've gone through hell and you can't live in that kind of thing, remember what happened to my father. This man who had nothing, he, oh, <laughs> even his birth certificates and stuff, which were in the little... They got burnt up in yeah, the house they, fire, right? Eh? He said he thought it was his granny's pipe that set fire to it, but later oh. thinking about it, he thought he made a little boat for the, There's a little river there that runs out into Kaukau Bay. And he made a little boat, and he put a fire on the boat. I think it was his little boat that set the, the warrior on fire. But his granny realized there's a wooden box with all his, all his birth certificate and everything is in there, and it's on, oh, fire. it's on fire. And he thought she was going to try to kill herself because she was on her own with him, <laughs> and he held her until it all burned down. So he lost his roots. He had no father. He lost his mother at birth. His granny died when he was 12. Wow. And that man became the best cyclist New Zealand's ever had. Okay. Uh, just for our listeners, we're uh, speaking with, uh, I'm going to say Pastor Matua, <laughs> uh, Winky Pratney uh, here tonight, sharing his story about uh, his father. And, mm. and wow, out of obscurity, out of the ashes, yeah, out of uh, ashes. we've just heard yeah. uh, you, uh, an incredible story. So if you're listening, you know, out of obscurity, out of nothing, uh, out of great shame and hurt, you see, because he'd never tell anybody. He wouldn't oh, sit wow. there and find out all about his mother and all the stuff we do today, you know, in talk shows and stuff and tell everybody how awful it was. Yeah. They never mentioned that in those days. And that's no. interesting because even with me and Stephen, mm -hmm. literally the day before my father passed away unexpectedly was the first time he ever said that he loved me. And oh. I don't know if he ever said it to Stephen. Wow. So it's that same kind of, you know, there was a total way about it. And that and that expression of whatever was certainly not the way that it was dealt Absolutely. with. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I always felt privileged that, that he had spoken those Isn't words. Isn't that lovely that just, yes, just it was, before he died? It was very yes. powerful yeah, because other than that, it was always a beating yeah. and then get yeah. outside. So, right. you know, yeah. and I, we know that he yeah. loved us. Oh, yeah, the eyebrows way, would go a certain ways. <laughs> <laughs> You're all right, boy. You're all right. <laughs> was about love extended through these eyebrows yeah. but that's why i believe that what wherever you are and whatever such you can be through all kinds of hellish yeah, things that's good it doesn't yeah. lock you down to being that all your life and God. so many kids hundreds of thousands of kids they've never been loved they no but their parents never loved them they just one one other said i could have killed you when you were born you're just damn lucky that you're still alive mm. And oh. they've grown up with that their whole lives. And so they think, there's no real hope for me. I've got nothing going for me. I'm not famous. I don't have money or any of those things. The friends I've lived with all are horrible and they're <laughs> doing all kinds of oh. awful things. <laughs> and so they think, I can't make it. There's no way I can make it. And the answer is yes, because if you can find something bigger or somebody bigger than what you are, your circumstances, you can invest power Oh, it's yeah. just like a, a refrigerator. If you don't have something that in, that in, invests, uh, there's a lot of wasted heat that comes out of the back of a refrigerator. But the thing that changes it from ordinary water to ice is an investment. 
of intelligence and power that goes into that thing or it would never do what it does. And we have somebody who can access us, who can help us. And I, I'm living proof. See what happened to my father. We both gave our lives to the Lord the same night. So I got hey. two fathers on the same night. <laughs> it was right here in Auckland, you know, in a little, a little street mission called the PWF, People's Worship and Freedom, just down. We just, talk, we just prison. had dinner on the strip, That's Simon Street, eh? Right from there. Simon Street. Yeah, yeah. So whatever your situation, wherever you come from, there's somebody bigger than you and I. Mm. And he can, end, he can, you just ask him, he can come into your situation and make you not just cool, cool, make you amazing. Kia ora. Yeah. Woo, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> it was cool for us. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's yeah. um, that's the truth. It works. Mm. Put your trust in them. It leads, it leads Our whole family way. has that. We were a small family, just my sister and I. I've got a younger sister who's still alive today. And then uh, my mother. My dad died in 2001. My mother died 18 months later. She missed him too much. But we were there to watch a family that there's no reason why they should have ever stayed together became in love with each other and just stayed with each other for the rest of their lives and blessed so many other people by their stories. Dad is a very um, quiet man, a very shy man. When he won that Christchurch, <laughs> the mm. Christchurch thing, the whole Manurea turned out to see him and he hid on the floor of the car <laughs> he <hid laughs> because he was embarrassed oh. to be in the middle of all the, you know, oh, all the pomp and circumstance. Yeah, and he did his on the, on the yeah. track, eh? Always. Yeah. Well, look, what an awesome story. Now, this leads on. This journey doesn't stop here. It continues now in you. And I think yeah. what's really interesting, I mean, your global accolades, you can look it up. I think you've got a Wikipedia page. Uh, let's just go and read it all. Um, the only trouble is with Winky, uh, Wikipedia... <laughs> I, I started one called Winkypedia. <laughs> Winky. And so yeah. they cut me out of Wikipedia. I had five pages. <laughs> yeah. now, now if you go on Wikipedia, I'm vanished. You know, You're I'm, vanished. I don't exist now. anymore. You'll have well, to Well, I found tons Wink, of stuff Wikipedia. Wikipedia. <laughs> but uh, um, I met the Lord when I, this is, I go to, you know, I went to Papatoi High. There was no Manurua High School, not James Cook or anything around there. No. There was only right. Papakura and Papatoi. Oh, so I had a choice where we were in Manurua to go to either one, and I chose Papatoi because, you know, it was a little bit longer and I could ride my bike there, get practice to beat Dad, which I never did. But I was there for nearly five years, a full year, uh, second year that it started. And uh, uh, then in 1960, right near the end of that year, the last three months, um, I met the Lord, and it so altered my life. Uh, I'd, I would won my scholarship, you know. I was a good tennis player, third in the nation. I played some rugby, but I got a, a, a leg ripped, so that took that out. But with all of those things, I had a band for two and a half years. We were in the Battle of the Bands, and we got to the quarterfinals. I got to write the school song. And all now, that. how do you... How does, how does that happen? I don't know. <laughs> but because we're, oh, wow. you know, I did a lot of comic opera for the school. Five of those. The Gilbert and Sullivan type thing. Oh, right. And the, our Mr. Poole is an incredible guy. He was the one, uh, you know, he watched us do all the different things that he taught us. And so 
right near the end of my time in high school, he said, we don't have a school song. Would you be willing to write the lyrics? I went, I'll do the music if you do the song. Wow. So I wrote the school song, and it's still sung today. Now, it's totally different lyrics. Um, the lyrics are the same, but it's now hip-hop instead. <laughs> <laughs> I had sort of more, you know, cooler yeah. ones in those days, but hip-hop is still cool. Wow, what a cool and thing. And they still that. use it. But the cool thing is, because I, I realized I'm, there's a thousand kids in my school, many of them, they're just like me. They have hurt lives and some of them are wealthy, but they still screwed up in their marriages and families. If you see them 50 years later, they're still hurting. So I thought, I need to pass on what I learned. So I asked my, you know, my dad had got saved the same night as me, and I asked my parents, would you mind if I went back to school again? for my scholarship year again. I already had a scholarship, the second highest mark in chemistry in New Zealand. Oh, so wow. I already had that for two years in a row. And, and so I, I'd passed, you know, but there were, so I go back and they, there was no rule that said you had to leave when you graduate. And they said, why, uh. why do you want to come back? I said, <laughs> I like it, you know. I said, there's something that I'd like you. to do again. And then I had one friend join me from Canada. He's a lovely guy. He was with Wycliffe Bible Translators. His name was David Forrest, and he still lives here in New Zealand. And we came back. Uh, he had to get uh, at least a university entrance to get to BTI, which is the right. Bible College in yeah, those days. Yeah. So he came with me to a thousand kids, and, and we didn't started reaching out to a school. And we saw at the end of the year, a tenth of the school give their lives to the Lord. Wow. And that's why I'm still cool. working with teenagers today. Right. And why I'm not a pastor, I'm just a nerd chemist that met the Lord. So that's, what, that's my <laughs> thing. And oh, by the way, my three ambitions in life was never travel, because Dad was traveling <laughs> all the time. He was riding here and riding there, and he was gone and here. To never travel, never meet yeah, anybody, because yeah. he's famous. You know, yeah. Nerds aren't famous. Yeah, we just yeah. do things. You know. yeah, yeah. Only and three million yeah, ear miles. So, so the, well, that's all later. <laughs> But, but never travel, never meet anybody, and to be a chemist. Those are my three ambitions in life. And all those who were ruined by the Lord, who just came, he just doesn't even ask you. He just says, follow me. And it's not even a three-point sermon. Don't even sing or anything. He just says, follow me. You get a choice. Yeah, most of us do you not a three-point sermon. We're doing a three-point turn. Or you can follow him, you see, and I did. And so I have. Awesome. So this would be my sixth generation of teenagers. Sixth generation. fifth generation of college students that I've been working fifth with. Fifth generation. For over 54 years. This is my 55th year coming up now. Wow. So. Well, you, you know, we, there's so much... Uh, our listeners want to know uh, that I want to know, but I want to kind of skip through and see if we can just sure. put a little bit of focus on on a few of them. Yeah. Uh, we'll just speed over the you were a youth for Christ director. Yeah. Um, I think you were. I'll give the accolade. You set a foundation uh, that my generation who came through in the eighties was profound. Right. Uh, so I don't know what you put in the Kool Aid, but it certainly lingered. <laughs> it chemist. did. It lingered on. There was Auckland City Town Hall. They were renting that, and that was packed. If you the, if you mess with, if you messed with me in high school as a chemist, because I have a better lab in the in uh, you've seen it. I have a yeah. better lab in in high school than the high school did, and a better lab in university than the university <laughs> did. Because when I was twelve, I made friends with a guy George Wilton who was over. The major import firm for, for chemical, chemicals. 
So my, I give my mother a list of chemi chemicals I want at 12. So she goes to meet this cool British guy and she, he, she gives him a list. He said, my son wants to buy these chemicals. And he looks at it. This is before the drug world came. He goes, what is this for? I says, for my son. She said, how old is he? She said, 12. And he laughed. He said, I'd like to meet your son. So she brought me along, and he really liked me. He'd never seen oh, a 12-year-old kid that loved uh, a science like that. So he, anything that got chipped or bruised, he gave it to me. I had thousands oh, wow. of dollars worth. I not only had all the chemistry I needed, I could make anything I wanted to. Yeah. Not drugs. I, I didn't know you no. could eat them. I missed no. it so much. I had all this access so if you messed with me in school I wouldn't try and beat you up I'd look I at just me. blow you up <laughs> all I did is uh, I slipped a pill into your lunch Great. and so for the next three days when you went to the toilet you think you were bleeding to death now if you got through the pill awesome. I had a larger capsule gel cap with a smaller cap inside of it and it self detonated I slipped it into the back of your jeans and when you sat down about 30 seconds later the back of your jeans caught fire. So nobody ah, ever mess messed with, with me, me in Papadai High School, and I had the second highest level uh, of canings in Papadai High. Oh, no. Then I got saved. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a total shock oh, such a holy to everybody, confession. you know. I met Mr. dear Mr. McGill, yeah. who was our, you know, our Any person. other confessions, Winky, just <laughs> keep them coming. Well, I have to say <laughs> them, you know. I only get one chance to tell people the horrible story of what happened. But... Um, Basically, I know this, that wherever you are and whatever future you may not think you have or anything else, when that person changes your life, it's, it's forever yes. and it's so lasting. This is my wife and I, it's our 50th wedding anniversary. What this? Just, just the last uh, oh, few weeks. Oh, Awesome. 50 years. 50 oh, years we've been married to, to one person. <laughs> And still love each other after all these oh, years. Oh, yeah. Just like my father and my mother did. So, oh, crazy. We, we've, got a, we've got a lovely nation, an incredible nation, one that Kill God that. has invested so much in. We just have got to learn to be ordinary people who, who know how to love each other and how to trust mm. God. Love each other and trust God. Trust God. Yeah. Trust God totally. because he's smarter than us. He's, he's brilliant. You know, we don't have to be geniuses. We just have oh. to know a genius person. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, look, we've got to keep it. Let's roll into this. Um, oh, just one thing I've always wanted to ask you. Sorry, mm. totally left field. I mean, three million air miles. And I'm harped on it's about ridiculous, it ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. How, do you, how do you do that? At one stage when I was <laughs> just traveling I mean, I take one trip to London and well, I'm comatose. Fifty nations, you know. How do you do that? I haven't been... I've been South Africa, but not regular Africa. I've been on the way to China, but never to China. <laughs> and on the way to India at, at the airports or thing. Right. But at one stage, I was doing 150,000 miles a year. What? And that's a, 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 it's another... 5,000 miles more than pilots are allowed to. So 150,000 150, miles, miles a year. year. And when you look at our calendars in the past, it's here yeah. and we're flying there. And so the, the 3 million puts me the top 2% of frequent flyers in the world, which means wow. they never lose my bags. 
and it's it's this level because I'm with uh, One World Airlines, you know, American. <laughs> they never lose my bags, and if they ran out of room because the, the yeah. plane is full, they will pull a pilot out and put me in. Oh, and I don't pay. <laughs> but all here's that my three million miles. They're all they're not first class, and they're not even business. They're oh. all economy. Oh. So they're real miles. The majority yeah. of million miles are people who fly business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they get double miles and stuff. So you did all Mine that all in Cattle Creek. Just like Dad's racing on his bike. So that three million miles. Um, but I have friends that are that my three million miles. Lauren Cunningham is a friend. Yeah. I'm gonna I don't know that. how many miles. It's probably a billion that Lauren has. <laughs> But he has two. Right. He has two uh, world tickets going in opposite directions, and he's travelled more than any other person I've ever met. Well, it's good that you bring him up. So I just want to segue quickly into that because I think it's a really cool story. I met Henry Kissinger in an admirals uh, club, and I said, "Henry, okay. I know somebody who's travelled more miles than you." Then, and that was Lauren. <laughs> he's not only been to every nation and every country in the world; he's preached in all of them. Wow. Nobody's ever done that in human history. Really? Yeah. Oh. All right. So uh, somewhere in the mid-60s, uh, yes. Lauren comes down. He goes to Orama out yes. on the Great Barrier, yes. hangs out there, and he's got this vision for yeah. a world global youth. Yeah. Uh, what would you call it? It's possible to get a vision from God. This God speaks to people sometimes through sure. dreams. He can talk to them in movies. He can even talk to them yeah. in pop songs. Yeah. Point, he can show you what he's like by stopping a, a football team from winning because they're screwing up. <laughs> he can do all kinds of cool ways to talk to people that, that don't know. But in, this, in, the, in these various things, here's Lauren. His father was a major leader in the Assemblies of God in Southern California. He was a, a district superintendent of all of Southern California. And there's Lauren, his son. And he has this dream. It's a vision from the Lord. He sees waves breaking again. Uh, uh, sure, just like New Zealand, as a matter of fact, waves breaking constantly against the sand. And as he looks at the waves, they become young people. Hundreds of thousands of young people. Wow. They turn into young people as they land. And he realizes God is going to do something very special with young people that hasn't been done in history before. To be a missionary, you had to grow up and you had to have a huge you know, amount of training. You've gone through, I know you've all yeah. gone through some yeah. chunks of training, maybe three or four years in Bible college and then practice in this. Right. But he saw that happen and he realized God's going to use ordinary kids. And yeah. so he sets off in his first global trip. He'd never been out of America before except to Mexico with the, with the, the, the vision that he had. So he arrives here in New Zealand. New Zealand is the uttermost part of the earth from Jerusalem. Wow. So he comes to the furthest away wow. from Jerusalem he could find. And he lands here like the Santa Claus movie that's out now. <laughs> you know, Santa in New Zealand, a Kiwi Christmas. It's called. It's a great movie, by the way. That's the first movie I've actually liked, a New Zealand Kiwi movie. That's a great oh Kiwi movie. Go see it. You know, you'll love we'll it. Do. Anyway, Santa Claus comes to New Zealand in it, and it's very well done and has some nuclear physics in it too, which is good. also good. <laughs> but anyway, in this deal, he arrives. He's at the barrier where Nev Winger used to be. It was a short conference there. 
And Jim and Joy Dawson are there. And they ask him, where are you going now? He said, well, I want to go, I don't, didn't call it the mainland, but to the other part of New Zealand and see what's going on here. Right, right. And they said, where are you staying? He said, I haven't worked that out. And so Jim and Joy said, why don't you stay with us? We've got a house. You can just stay with us and go wherever you like. Wow. So I get this call. So this is in Hillsborough, I Hill, think Hillsborough, yes. Hillsborough. I get this call right. from Joy. Getting a call from Joy Dawson, because she's an amazing woman. She's still alive. Yeah. Still seeking God. Credible prayer warrior. I get a, it's like being a Catholic and getting a call from the Pope, you know. <laughs> I get this call from Joy Dawson, and she goes, there's a man who's come to our home to stay for a little while, and I feel it'd be in the Lord if you could meet this man. So do you have any free time. I'm looking at my calendar. I've just lost my job. With the YFC. <laughs> With eh? YFC, yes. Yeah, because you so I have an empty through schedule through. for yeah. the rest of my life, wow. you know, and it's, it's an empty <laughs> calendar. And I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing now. I've just been saved a few years, and that's it. Now. So, so I said, yes, I, I happen to have uh, some free time. <laughs> so at 10 o'clock in the morning, I go out to Jim and Joy's place and meet this man I've never seen. I don't know anything at all about him. And he sits down and he starts talking about what he felt God had given him to do. And as he, I listened, I thought this is exactly what I wanted to see. I want, because of the changes the Lord made in my life and in my family's life, I knew every nation needs this. Kids need this from all across the world. They need to know how their lives can be marvelous. God. So, so I just sat and listened to him. So Joy slid some food under the... The all, you know, the, came out empty. They knew we were still alive. <laughs> and then I was there till six, from 10 in the morning till six at night. And I had a book. I'd done one other book before called Doorways to Discipleship. Wow. And it was done Great for book. really uh, high school kids. And then I had another book, which nobody had ever seen. It was in a little brown bag. And I'd worked on it ever since I've uh, been a long quite almost a decade there of working on this book but nobody'd seen it and Graham Braddock my friend yeah, lost his job the same wow. time as me had done some artwork and stuff for it it was hand typed and everything is there anything Graham hasn't done no Graham has done everything <laughs> <laughs> you need to put him on you know put him on for a whole, whole year but anyway um, so I've got this in a paper bag I don't know, even know why I bought it except I thought well this is something new so I'm sitting there and I asked Lauren, I said, Lauren, what are you going to do if these kids come and they, they, get, they meet the Lord and their whole life changes? How are you going to teach them? What are you, you going to teach? And he said, well, that's a problem. He said, I felt like I was supposed to do some kind of book or training something, but I really haven't had time to do it. And then I said, I've got a book. Wow. Yeah. And I reached into my little paper bag, which had those, <laughs> I call, what they call them, brads. Yeah, you know, yeah. when you put the things through and you bend the, the yeah, legs yeah, of yeah. them. So it's almost impossible to read it if they've got this on. <laughs> so the idea yeah. was everybody can buy their own um, folder and stick their That's things right. in, and then they can put their own notes and stuff in. Remember Mark Holloway had a copy? Yeah. You couldn't read it. You couldn't even put it in a bookstore because people, how do you even yeah, look at yeah. this thing? So he's trying to open it up with the brads on it, you know. And he said, what do you call this book? And I said, I call it Youth Aflame. And he got really quiet. And he said, that's the name God gave me for the book. Ooh. And then he said, what are you doing with this? 
And I said, I've got about 300 kids that I've led to the Lord, and I'm going to use this book to train them. And then he looks. You know, there's a way you can look. You can look in the sky if you're trying to remember something that happened. You look in the other side. I'm not going to point to show you which one's in line you. If you're trying to make something up. But Lauren did neither of those two. He looked straight up. And he looked down at me and he said, Oh, no. We need thousands of this book. Now, this is in New Zealand. In Hillsborough. 500 <laughs> copies is a huge book, you know. You want a bestseller, you go to a thousand books here. <laughs> and I'm, I want to do maybe 500 books. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a big Cute. deal. Yeah. And he's saying, we need thousands of these. We need tens of thousands of these books. So this is what a vision is. He didn't see like three kids land on the, the waves and then become. He saw tens of thousands of them. Wow. So he said, if you come to the U.S., I'll help you print that book. And my grandfather, who is not a Christian, this is my mother's side now, not right, my yeah. Maori side. My, grand, uh, my grandfather came to a meeting I had in Whangarei, and he gave his life to the Lord. Who? My grandfather did. And then he gave me the money to get oh. on the ship and go to the U.S., and get that book printed. Oh, so, wow. That was with Graham and yes. Tui Crookshank yeah, up nine, at Whangarei? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Graham and Tui are still up there. Wow. And so, so anyway, I go there. And 1967, around Christmas time, it's about this now. It's 2017 now. So this is 50 years ago. Just the other day. Yes, just the <laughs> other day. That manual, Youth of Flame, was printed for the very first time in the U.S., and during the Jesus movement alone, over 100,000 copies wow. went out into kids' hands. And then it went all over the world. Yeah, millions. Yeah. It now just it's millions. And, and I, I, you know, all I did was just the... Turn up to Hillsborough. Yeah, and just turn up and show them the little thing. Here's and, a guy with a global vision. Yeah, and, and, then, and then it all came back. So what we're doing now, this is the other cool book. We, we this will be the 50th anniversary of the first printing of Youth of Flame. And we've got a new version. It's it's. Well, hang on. This is a bit of an exclusive. Oh, yeah, here. Well, so well, yes, it is. Just buckle up, listeners. Nobody's ever no heard one, this. No one's heard this. Right this now. is so right here. Willpodcast.com. Wherever coming you are. To you. If you're in Africa, listen. If you're in a, <laughs> on Mars, <laughs> on your way to Mars, Mars. <laughs> or you know, on the the moon base. You know, if you're listening, this is the one. But uh, I think what we'll do is we'll wrap what up it's about today's session. Two point oh, right? Two point oh. Two point oh. Youth of Flame. Two point oh. The Millennium Edition. 50th 50th Jubilee celebration <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> but we, we, we want to get into that in our next episode oh, we're going to get that in the next episode so, so we'll just um, yeah. I'll just finish it up for yeah. now I'll, we're just going to put a little pause in here we're yeah. going to come back because this is a double show here tonight yeah. and uh, just with our special guests and probably uh, a week it's going to be out oh, oh in a week so this is a super exclusive yes it but, is uh, yeah Look, so just uh, don't go anywhere. We're just going to take a little water break. Uh, great to have you with us, Paul. Uh, oh, look, Paul, would you like to put any finishing touches on this? I'm just mind blown. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is not. I didn't even know this. I was going to be a part of uh, you know We're this, this, this you, chat today. Yeah, so uh, yeah, really, absolutely fascinating hearing hearing all your stories, Winky. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, it's incredible. Great honor. So um, yeah, yeah. yeah, thank you for thank you for sharing them. So welcome. And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah look, it, it, uh, you know, I, I love this medium of the podcast that yes, allows it us it's an to amazing sit moment. down. You know, there's 
four of us sitting here in the room yeah. and yet we're able to capture this and and to share this with whoever chooses to listen in, we never suits mm. them. You know that's the, the fraternity, nat- the nature of <laughs> the, na- the nature of the technology, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, so yeah. you know it's great when we. So can, you're right uh, there. It's great story. Right so. uh, yeah, the dance, but also the monkeys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So right. we we just while we got Paul with us tonight, we just really, really honour cool. you for taking the step of World Podcast, yeah. allowing us to to you know to bring people in like like winky you know yeah. so your no vision is made away for that so you know thank no, you no, no, no. <laughs> so look we'll just take a pause here but i'll just finish off uh we'll be back shortly. Kia ora. Kia ora.